A warning before I begin. This is a story that includes sexual violence. It is not suitable for children to hear. If you have suffered trauma, please listen with care. It was one of those days that I could remember it so vividly. It was like something that if you heard like when John F. Kennedy was killed, you knew what you were doing. You knew what the day was like. I remember that day, too. It was March 20th, 1984. That was the day Northeast Ohio and the nation first heard about the bravest woman in the world who suffered a crime so brutal it forced people to ask themselves if they could have survived or if they would have wanted to. There was this woman in Akron, Ohio that was... I don't even know what the word for it. It is brutalized as a, a, a as an object of, of a vicious human being who hated women. I used to work with Mark Williamson back in the day. He anchored the news on Akron, Ohio's only local TV news station, TV 23. The news break with Mark Williamson. Good evening. On the Akron Canton News at 11 o'clock tonight. He remembers that day, too. So to take a knife, I mean, it's almost, it's, it's, it's so inhuman. It's, it's beyond anything that anybody can imagine. Stab me in the gut, stab me in the back, cut my karate, whatever you want. But don't do that. That says something way beyond vicious. I'm Carol Costello. I've been an anchor and reporter for a long time, 18 of those years at CNN. I've covered every kind of tragedy imaginable. 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, the Pulse nightclub massacre. They were difficult stories to cover, but most stories, even emotionally heart-wrenching stories, I was able to leave at work. But other stories, like the story I covered when I was a rookie reporter, I can't shake. It has stayed with me all of these years, not because of the brutality, but because of the survivor, Phyllis Cottle. She gets under your skin. I've never met another person like her who used her intelligence, courage, and tenaciousness to transcend what happened to her. I talked with Phyllis's daughter, Diane. His mindset was he was out to kill her. That's where he was. You know, his, his mind, he was going to have a little bit of fun and then kill her and go on about his business like it was an average day. A lot of people ask me why I waited so long to share Phyllis's story. Good question. I started writing her story dozens of times over the years, only to suffer frustrating periods of writer's block. That's unusual for me. I can write a news story in like a minute, but not Phyllis's. A friend of mine, a psychologist, told me he understood why. Writer's block, he said, is a smoke detector. It detects your emotional trauma, and at some point when you're ready, it forces you to fix things. Maybe he's right, but I'm not ready to bear my soul. This is Phyllis's story, not mine. I do know that fixing things would thrill Phyllis, who told me years ago. When something happens to somebody, you have, a, you know, you have choices. And like I said, one of them is to sit in the corner and let yourself be buried, you know, with pity and, and bitterness and, and hatred. In other words, Phyllis said, it's your choice. But you can't sit in a corner and cry the rest of your life. Phyllis was that kind of woman. So it's time for me to share Phyllis's story, all of it. 
Luckily, I found someone to help me do that. Her name is Emily Pelfrey. She's a former prosecutor who's tried dozens of cases, including rape and murder. She now coaches pre-law students at Denison University, and she loves to examine cold cases. Emily, I can't thank you enough. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm honored to be a part of it. It's just such an interesting case, right? It's a very interesting case. And I think what makes it very interesting is the environment, what was going on with women's rights at the time, and just how quickly the case came to fruition. Uh, I think there are a lot of things with circumstantial evidence that play into this case, along with eyewitness testimony. So all of those things make this very interesting. And it could get even more interesting, if that's the right word. The man convicted of the crimes against Phyllis has never admitted guilt, which of course doesn't mean he's innocent. He was convicted by a jury of his peers, his sentence 290 years. After he was convicted, though, he bombarded Phyllis with angry letters. Here's Diane. Did he ever admit to doing it? No. He was writing letters to my mom Mm -hmm. saying that, oh, he had the wrong guy and she's all wrong. Basically, and then, then the letters kind of turned to a more nasty nature, saying that she was going to burn in hell because, you know, she got him in prison and he's innocent and blah, 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 blah. And I finally told her, I said, you know what? Don't even open them. Just throw them in the trash. But this man, Samuel Herring, never stopped trying to get out of prison. And he's still trying. And it's possible he may succeed. There's a push today to release prisoners, even violent prisoners who've been incarcerated for decades. Herring is in his 60s now. Experts say he's unlikely to hurt anyone else. But there's another reason Herring may get his freedom. I'll tell you about that later. It's just too insane for me to talk about now. What I can tell you is that Phyllis's family is angry about it. They've worked for decades to keep this man in prison for the rest of his life. They've collected thousands of letters from the community, urging the parole board to deny and keep on denying Heron's parole. In 2019, the last time Herring was up for parole, a full 37 years after his conviction, the number of letters was so overwhelming, the parole board finally asked Phyllis's family to please stop it with the letters. We get it. More when we return. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. 
In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Drew was one of Phyllis's granddaughters. Because he has a vengeance. He is angry. That's clear. I mean, he's still being violent. You know, she has me. She has a daughter. I have two kids. Our family members have kids and daughters. And you don't know what somebody like that is. I mean, you know what they're capable of. But at what point are they going to stop? Is he going to stop with just her? Is he going to keep coming? That's why we make it such a point to get everyone that we know to write letters, emails, phone calls, all of it. The effort to keep this man, this monster, behind bars is even more urgent now that Phyllis has passed away. Samantha, another grandchild, promised on her grandmother's deathbed to make sure Herring stays in prison for the rest of his life. No matter what, I'm going to be this guy's worst nightmare. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to fight. No matter what I got to do, I'm going to keep her wish alive. And I'm going to honor that wish. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to examine the case against Phyllis's attacker, yes. But we're going to make sure you know Phyllis's story. Because this is a story about a survivor-turned-detective who became an indispensable part of the team investigating the crime against her. And in the process, Phyllis became a hero for every woman who yearned to be heard, to be taken seriously, to not only survive, but thrive. Phyllis Cottle was one badass woman, and you should know her name. Next week, that day. I think people want, like, a, you know, a knight in shining armor. And in that reality, there's not a knight in shining armor. Blind Rage is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and Carol Costello. It was produced by Nigel Galladay and me, Carol Costello, and audio engineered by Sean Rule Hoffman. The music was written and produced by Timothy Law Snyder and Scott Snyder. All of the information in this podcast came from my memories of the event. Phyllis Cottle, her family members and friends, former police, prosecutors, former and current journalists, police reports, and court documents. I've tried to tell this story factually to the best of my ability, but sometimes memory fails. It's been a long time, but my goal is simple. Phyllis was an amazing woman, and her story of courage should be shared. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew. But after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. 
She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.